Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. Hey, we're going to find out what it's like to shoot some uh, bow and arrows with uh, one of our, our friends, Brian, here. Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm going to be your host today on Archie Talk 101. And we have Brian on the, the line with us, and he's going to tell about all the exciting things he does with his bow. Welcome to the show, Brian. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, not so much charm as exciting as some of your other guests, but uh, I'll do my <laughs> best. <laughs> hey, they're, they're, they're all good. You know, we get to talk archery. Yeah, how, how can you go wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, why don't you introduce yourself so our audience to know a little bit something about you? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, my name is Brian Cooper. I am the uh, owner, founder, janitor, and uh, general only employee of uh, Grey Wolf Manufacturing and Grey Wolf Archery. So uh, I make, uh, at the moment, I make stabilizers and stabilizer weights, and we're working on putting other things in our products. That's, that's kind of the short and sweet of it. <laughs> Well, we have lots of questions about stabilizers. <laughs> I'll go go right ahead and I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> well, uh, start with that. If they wanted to get one of your products, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, you can go either contact me directly through the company's Facebook page, or I do have a website, um, graywolfmanufacturing.ca. That's sort of the overarching company, and there'll be a tab there for Grey Wolf Archery specifically. Okay. Those are kind of the two easiest ways. And we're starting to try to expand our, our dealer retailer uh, locations, but uh, that's been slow. So. <laughs> yeah. so what got you started in archery? Uh, was it back in thousand, I guess when I was 10 or 12, it'd be like 1006, 2005, somewhere in there. Uh, long story short, just saw it on TV, told my mom, Hey, I want to go try this. And then uh, she said, oh, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. It was just like a kid <laughs> wanted to do something random, right? Yeah. And then bought it up again one more time. And she's like, okay, let's let's go see what this is all about. So we went out to the local range at the time and uh, picked up some recurves, shot them for a bit, and kind of went from there. That, that was, it, you know, you wanted to get started. I hear a lot of, a lot of stories about archers that, just wanted to get started and starting out with just making their own bow and and getting a couple of arrows and just flinging them and and then progressing on to you know doing good things in archery and yeah. and it's just a matter of hey something you want to do go for it yeah exactly it's 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 fairly as long as there's ranges around it's a fairly easy sport to get into it's not there's a, a very low barrier of entry to it right and it don't have to spend a lot of money on on a bow either. You can, as long as it fits you, it doesn't yeah. matter what you spend. Yeah, like yeah. when I first started, it was uh, just a generic takedown recurve. I think it was like 150 bucks at the time and a half a dozen arrows and that was it. So my mom probably, I didn't buy it because I was a kid at the time, but my mom probably only put out <laughs> maybe 200 bucks or so to buy the bow and the arrows and that was about it. Yeah, I think mine was my first one was a little bit cheaper than that, but that was in the 60s. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Things have gotten a little bit more expensive since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a bit, especially in the last few years. They've, they've really jumped yeah. up. And, uh, you know, back when I had my store, uh, oh, geez, that was 
20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was, you know, the low end bow was running you about the 300 $350 range to get set up for a bow. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I sold the, the bows for is right about that range. And that was back when PSC had the Nova bows. And yeah. uh, those that remember, they come in three different draw lengths, like a 24, 27 and 29. And you had a couple inches difference between them. And, and, you know, I, I would stock two in the right and, and one in the left of each of the sizes. And, uh, you know, because I stocked them, I, I sold 40% of my bows last year. I had my store was left-handed. Yeah. Because I stocked them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it's, if you simply have the product someone's looking for, there's a good chance that they'll buy it from you instead of going online, right? Yeah, and and, and even you know online, you couldn't compete with what you got from me because if you bought it online for cheaper, you bring it in me, I'm going to charge you forty dollars to set it up. Yeah, and I'm going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour for instruction. That's included with all my bows. Yeah, yeah the so, number of times they go for. It. Yeah, so there's there's been a few times guys have taken them back and just bought them for me because of, you know, hey, can you set them up? Well, you can bolt them on. Is it right? Mm-hmm. You know, I I can eyeball them closer than you'll ever get them just putting them on because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. Bring them to somebody and, you know, what one yeah. of the things I used to tell them is, uh, uh, you know, the new, new archers, you know, we'd put a stabilizer on because it helps multiple things other than just holding your sling on, uh, you know, it helps balance them and, and decrease the vibration. And, you know, I'd put the cheapest one I had on, which is just, you know, at that time it was, you know, $10 stabilizer, Yeah. put it on, have them shoot it. Then I pull off one of the $50 stabilizers. Now that that would be probably five times that now, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd put the more expensive one on and should, can tell difference. Nope. Buy the cheap one. Yeah. Cause at that point, yeah. why spend the money? You know, that was my yeah. thoughts. And, and, and I had guys come into the store uh, that was recommended because they knew that I wouldn't try and oversell them. Yeah. I'd sell them what they needed, not what I wanted them to have. Yeah. yeah. And I try to do the same thing. Like when I sell someone, like at the moment, I only have one state, one model of stabilizer. But like when I sell people weights, they go, oh, how much weight do I need? I'm like, well, here's I've got a stack in my case. Here, just have fun. See what you like. And then maybe buy one or two ounces more than that. So you have something to play with if you want to later. Yeah, right? and I'm like, you can always find me and buy some more later. You don't have to buy them all now. Like, you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on everything all at once. You can do it kind of piecemeal and build it up over time. Now, do you have different link stabilizers? Yeah, we can. Uh, I, I make them all on demand. Like, I buy the carbon fiber tube from a company down in the states here. Um, I guess I should mention I'm up in Canada here in the Great White North here, um, but. Uh, yeah, so I buy them from a company down in the States and then get them shipped up here. They come in 72-inch long lengths, so I can do anything from 4 inches all the way up to 74 inches. So whatever whatever someone wants. If they want something custom to within a quarter inch or something, not a problem. Just let me know and we can, we can make it up and uh, go from there. Yeah, so in, in setting up a, a stabilizer, what are you looking for? When you put it on your bow, what, what are you expecting it to do? Uh, personally, I just I, I I'm not personally I'm too worried about like vibrations and stuff. So I'm just looking. I'm a target shooter, so I look mostly just for what gives me the the steadiest result, basically for the least amount of weight. Right, that's kind of what I look for. 
And then anything beyond that is kind of a bonus, <laughs> at least personally. Um, so most of your stabilizer then are more for balance then? Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I'm, because I do this part-time, like I work my day job down in a company doing aerospace work. And then I have my shop here that I do um, my own machine work and then the archery stuff on the machine behind me here. Um, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of R&D and stuff, but I'm slowly working through it and adding more stuff. Um, the next thing that a lot of guys have asked for is like, okay, what do you do for vibration dampening and stuff like that? Um, but I actually have, I'm trying to take some inspiration from, I'm not sure you can see that too well, but uh, yeah. this is this is a piece of manufacturing equipment for our CNC machines and whatnot. And it's actually a vibration damper or to help yeah. improve surface finishes in your parts. So one of the guys in my day job smacked it up real good, broken in half. So I took it apart and I'm trying to sort of reverse engineer it, but change it up enough that it would work for, um, for archery equipment, right? Because this thing here weighs probably about a good two, three pounds, oh. <laughs> which is, isn't going to be practical on the end of a, let's say 30 inch long stabilizer, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it's it's also designed mostly for like a, a higher frequency of vibration from the the cutting tool bouncing across material, which our bows don't have that high of a frequency, so we'd have to no. change it up to absorb that different frequency better. Well, and a lot of these new bows don't have much vibration in them. It's not like the old no. ones, you know. Uh, yeah. You know th that bow would jump straight out of your hand now with the, you know the parallel limbs or beyond parallel limbs that the force yeah. is up and down, not forward. You know, the old yeah, bows, you exactly. know, 38, 30, you know, inch axle to axle, you know, when they go off, there's a lot of forward force going on them. And, and you know, yeah. all my bows are older bows. So, uh, you know, they have that, but I have dampening on them and, and, you know, I'll go through and, and price with the newer ones, you really don't need much because it's kind of sits in your hand anyway. Yeah. Yeah. At least in, I, I, um, I've only ever really shot two, um, like higher end bows. And then I had a few lower end guys, but at least of the higher end ones, it was a PSC Supra and the PSC Expression. And for me, whether I had a stabilizer on it or off it in terms of vibration, there really wasn't much. And if there was any, it was mostly from the string moving. So it, it was hard to get, the, it's hard to get that vibration out, right? Because it has to go through the riser, which is touching your hand and then into that stabilizer. Yeah, I know I take on, on my bows. It slows them down, but I put uh, the string leeches uh, on the strings as well as the cables. You know, so, you know, I'll take a, the, the cable and take part of it, you know, just kind of pluck it and it, it'll ring and I'll put one of those in there and go thud. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that yeah. that's noise. You know, I'm more for noise because I want to quiet a bow as I can. Um, yeah. You know, considering I have an old bow, they're they're not. Yeah, they're not as anyway, quiet. but but uh, um, you know, I want it. I want it quiet, and it also reduces the vibration too. You know, which is yeah. causing noise, and yeah. you know, it does slow my bow down. But you know, my two thousand one PSE Carrera uh, bow was rated at three hundred twenty feet per second. Yeah, it's, you know, that was that's a twenty some year old bow that was rated yeah. that fast. Now yeah. I don't get Anything? it because I mean, multiple reasons, but yeah. Yeah, you're not shooting 70 pounds on a, was it 32 inch straw or 30 inch straw? 
70 pounds, 30 inch draw, 350 grain arrow, one knock point. Yeah, I shoot and 70 no pounds, on the arrow. I shoot 70 pounds, but I don't shoot 30 inch draw. Like I shoot 29. Yeah. And yeah. I have more than knock point on there. So I'm not going to get the rated speed out of it. No. Uh, my hunting arrows are well over 350. They're, they're around four or something. Uh, but my yeah. target arrows are like 370. Yeah, I think last, if I remember when I last weighed mine, they were, yeah, 370, 390, somewhere in there yeah. for mine. But yeah, like I, with Target, I'm capped out at 60 pounds anyways. So it's like, <laughs> I'm never going to get those speeds anyways. So what what really does it matter? Like, I think I chrono with my arrows, they were doing 275 out of the expression. I think that's, IBO was like two, or 325, I think, somewhere in that range. Yeah, but, I, uh, I don't remember on that. Yeah, and then I my my indoor arrows, which are even heavier. I think they were, they were. I can't remember what how heavy they were, but I chromed that, and they were going like two hundred and thirty. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were real slow. Yeah, well, yeah, you see a lot of the target shooters. You know, they're they're not shooting much weight. You know, that be yeah, you see guys out there could be shooting a lot more weight, but they're shooting forty pounds because they can easily hold it back. And there's not a lot of strain and. Yeah. And you know, you get the big old lung stabilizers on there, and then the V bars on there, and yeah. you know, it just sits there. I I shoot my hunting setup. <laughs> yeah. It, ultimately, the best like is whatever you're comfortable with is going to get you the best results, right? Like, yeah. you could be shooting a hundred pounds, but that paper target is for target shooting is still fifty meters away, and it ain't moving, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless it's unless it's really windy, it's not gonna matter. Like, yeah, you guys that do more hunting stuff, then yeah, that poundage starts mattering for that bit of extra speed, penetration, and all that stuff. But for me in target shooting, I uh, it doesn't really matter. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, even when I would would shoot, you know, like a, a three hundred round or something like that, I still shot my hunting bow at seventy pounds. Yeah. And yeah. you know, for me, the the last half I shot better than the first half. Even though I struggled more, I shot better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like when I, when I, uh, right now I haven't shot too many top tournaments lately. But when I was shooting tournaments a lot, we would do a double seven twenty, so seven twenty in the morning and seven twenty in the afternoon. The afternoon score was always better than my morning score. Don't know why. Whatever. Maybe because I'm a little more tired. I'm slowing down a bit more and taking a little bit more time. But uh, yeah, it always seemed to be in the afternoon on an overcast day is when I would get my best scores. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you never know, you know, it's, and, you know, we'll, we'll go to a, a tournament and I see, you need a warm-up arrows? Nope. Yeah. I'm a bow hunter. <laughs> I don't get a warm-up arrow at a deer. My first yeah, shot exactly. counts. Yeah, that one shot, that's all you're really getting is gone, so. Yeah, you, you get one. Once in a while, you'll get two, but generally it's it's one shot and you're gone. You get one shot, one chance. So, you know, I, I, I never go for, uh, you know, practice shots. You know, I may w draw the bow back just to, you know, warm up the muscles, but I'm I'm not going to go through doing any shooting. Uh, yeah. You know, if I do if I do with the release, I'm going to have the arrow on it. I'm just going to let down. I'm not going to shoot. I'm just making sure the muscles are working. And yeah. you know, that's all I'm doing. I don't I don't want to shoot because I want to take that first perfect arrow and make it count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always I just would take a few shots to make sure nothing got moved when I put my yeah. bow back in the case or shit brought it over or wherever it was going. Just to make sure the rest of their sight hadn't moved, everything was the same. Um, but yeah, you don't need as long. No amount of practice is really going to change anything at that point. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just making sure all the equipment's still in good shape and, and you're, you're able to go. And, you know, if I take too many more of those shots, I get tired or more towards the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when, uh, when COVID hit and all that and everything kind of got shut down, long series of events, got the shop, tournaments kind of got shot down. I haven't shot much in the last two years. Like I think I shot uh, the Ontario Provincials two years ago, and then I shot the Ontario Provincials last last summer, and that's it. I haven't. I've. I think I shot a grand total of maybe 300, 400 arrows in the last two years. Which is, oh, <laughs> sad for, which is really sad for me because I used to shoot like three, four hundred arrows a weekend and every weekend, right? But uh, yeah, I don't think I could even get through seventy-two arrows now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I need to, uh, I've got the shop here. I need to start doing some more shooting down, down over that way where I got a target down there, but. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going to have to take a, a time during the day and just like, okay, I'm going to go shoot, you know, I get home from yeah. work, I go shoot my bow, uh, you know, a dozen arrows and then, yeah, you know, at least yeah. you get something. Yeah, exactly. Like my, my dream goal is I want to get the company up and running so I can quit my day job and then I'm already here. So I might as well shoot some arrows while I'm here. Right right now it's work the day job come home do the work here and then by that point it's nine ten o'clock at night it's time to go home <laughs> yeah so, so there's not much time left for shooting well and when you're you go full-time here then then you'll be able to take in and try different things on there and see how it affects your bow and yeah. you know try try different bows and then you know have people come over it's like how's this work how's this one yeah. work you know just try different things and yeah, kind of exactly. hard to do that when you when you have a full-time job yeah like what I, my end what i want to do hopefully in the near future is like i've got like the one stabilizer that model that i make but i want to start making like specialized ones for recurve versus compound but i only shoot compound so it's hard to test out what's yeah. good for a recurve bow when you've only got a compound <laughs> yeah so, they're different yeah what i'd want to do is go and buy a proper recurve setup and then start doing test shots with the the other bows and comparing stabilizers like okay is the stiffer carbon fiber better for vibration absorption what lengths are better versus the poundage of the bow and go start doing all that testing and whatnot yeah and you've probably got some archers around there that that use stabilizers they'd be glad to come in and try them out for you and, and see how they yeah, work there, and... yeah there's a handful here but mostly uh, I'm, I'm in a bit of i'll call it an archery dead zone or oh, yeah? like for anybody who would actually want to or know anything about stabilizers and the differences between them right because i'm about an hour north of toronto so you get quite a few target archers it's this this weird split in ontario you go south of toronto you get a lot of recurve guys you go north of toronto you get a lot of hunters it's mostly city down south of toronto and it's bush up north of toronto right <laughs> so a lot of the hunters at least in this area they they just have the short little stabilizer they shoot a few arrows at the beginning of the season and then they they're gone you see <laughs> you see this little graph of, of people okay early spring not much well you start getting into like deer season it's like whoop, all these hunters show up and then then they're gone <laughs> after like a week or two right there, and there's a, there's a small batch of us in this area but for me to get to any significant number of people who would actually care or have the ability to get that feedback i'd have to drive probably about an hour or so of here oh yeah <laughs> but well, uh, once you've done your research then it might be worth it until then yeah, yeah 
Have fun. There's a, yeah, there's a range that an indoor range that I shot used to go to down south. I did some coaching out of there as well, but um, they they've got 70 meters of indoor range. So what I want to possibly do in the in the near future, hopefully, is make up a bunch of sample sets, go down there and be like, hey, I'm going to be down here from this time to this time on this day. Who wants to come try some stabilizers and and give you their feedback, right? Just to have different versions and different types in there, just to give yeah. them a try. Good, 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 good feedback and information when you get a whole bunch of people trying a whole bunch of different ones and they can yeah. tell you what they like and why they like it. And just like yeah. when I saw somebody set up, uh, uh, you know, determine which bow they like, you know, I finally got down. I was like, you like this one or this one better and why? Yeah. You know, I didn't care why. I just wanted them to say why. And, yeah. you know, eventually you'll, you'll narrow it down. And sometimes, you know, I got to where it's okay. I close your eyes and shoot. So you don't want to put it in your hands. You can't use that thing against, you know, the, the visual thing is, okay, I, I like this one better. So I'm going to say it works better, even though it may, may not. Yeah. And, you know, that yeah, takes that. Yeah, you do the same thing it. with the price of a bow, right? Some guys will go, oh, I want the best of the best, and I'll go buy the most expensive bow right off the bat. It's like, okay, but did you try anything else? Like, no, it was just the most expensive. It was the best one they had. Like, well, it doesn't really, that's, it's kind of counterproductive for the rest of your budget for everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So you got, like you said, just find the bow that knit, that fits you. Right. Like when I first started getting the target, I went down to one of the bigger bow shops south of here and I went in and I'm like, I'm going to buy a target bow. They're like, okay, which one are you looking at? Like, well, this very wide range of bows and they're like, okay, well, we'll pull down. I think it was like seven of the bows or whatever got them quickly adjusted to the draw length and just start taking shots in the in the shop before narrowing it down to the the narrow range and it wasn't about i mean price was important because i had a certain budget but it wasn't right. okay let's go for the most expensive one because that's got to be the best it was what's the best one in the budget range that feels the best and seems to perform the best right like you just got to find that right bow yeah yeah i know there's 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 times when you pick up a bow and it's like you look at it and it's like oh man i i like that bow i want to shoot that bow and you put it in your hand feels good you set it up for you yeah. and it does not fit you worth beans i had one when i had my shop um browning uh, which was owned by pse at the time uh they put out a bow that was counter-rotating cams the two top cams rotated opposite when you drew it back one road to one one road to the other way that's like that is cool i want to shoot that bow it's like you know it's like out in the shop so if i want it i just take it and <laughs> yeah you know uh, it was my bow so um i set it up my length everything i just could not get it to shoot good for me no matter what i did it just not it wasn't going to fit me so uh i sold it <laughs> <laughs> it, it fits somebody else just fine but uh, yeah. for me i just couldn't get it to fit me and you know it it didn't matter how much i wanted to shoot it because yeah. i just couldn't get it to fit me and other bows you know just you pick them up and it's like ooh, that feels good you set them up yeah. right on <laughs> yeah yeah there was one bow that a guy i can't remember he had it was like a okay archery i think they're out of like denmark or something if i remember and it was it felt like you pick it up, you draw it, and it's like, oh, that's a that's a good bow. 
but I never did end up like buying one or shooting one more than that. But it had a, a real nice draw on it. That was it, it was a neat bow. Yeah, I've seen several new bow companies come out and uh you know I don't know how long some of them last. I don't think some of them last too long. But you know, they, they kind of come up and have some cool ideas and some of them were just really, really weird ideas on on a on a bow setup and they don't ever stay very long, you know, because yeah. it yeah. most people just don't want to try those, you know, way out there yeah. styles of bows and yeah. Yeah. And well even what I've found with my my business is like I'm not doing anything super crazy with the stabilizers, right? But people tend to want to stick with the brand names. It seems that from what I've seen is people have one of two options. They pick the cheapest no name that you can find, or they go with the more expensive brand name. You're in that middle ground. You kind of have a rough time trying to convince people that you're, you've got a legitimate product because it's more expensive than the cheapest ones you can buy but it's not as expensive as most expensive ones you can buy so it's just this weird middle ground where it's hard to get people to, to take you seriously right yeah you know and, and that's where you've got to try them you, you know like like you, you said after you get a bunch of them up go down to the range and and try them and then next thing you know it's like you know this one shoots better than anything i've shot before uh, you know, I like this one and this is why I like it. And this one I don't like and this way. I don't like this one. And, and then you can take that. And it's like someone else in the same situation. Yeah. This is the one that might work for them. And I, I know when I was a kid, I'd used to go into the speed shop, you know, because we worked on pretty hot cars once in a while. And the lady behind the counter never turned a wrench, but she knew the answer to almost every problem you you had. You go and say, here's what I have. Oh, this is the problem. Because she'd had so many people come in with a problem, come back and say, hey, this is what fixed it. And she remembered it. And, you know, that's the thing that you got to get by is, is, you know, not everybody is going to be an expert because they've done the work. Yeah. You know, they could be an expert because they they pay attention to everything that's going on. They've done a lot of troubleshooting, looking at stuff. And, uh, you you know, that's, you know, in in your job, uh, you know, there's going to be people out there that like, oh, yeah, that's the problem. Because they'd yeah. seen it before, yeah. you know, where yeah. you may not have seen it. And it's like, what's causing this? Say, like, oh, yeah, you, you need to adjust this. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Like, at my day job, like, I do CNC machining for aerospace, right? So every so often we get the new guys and they go, well, how does this, why isn't this working? I go, I don't know, but we'll figure it out, right? So whenever something goes wrong with one of the machines, I'm always the first guy behind the maintenance guy. It's like, you need a hand with that? I know there's a big loud thud and something's probably broken, but like you need a hand trying to fix what's wrong, right? So now whenever one of the new guys does the same thing, I now have experience from when helping the maintenance guy I can go, okay, well, it's either A, B, C, or D. Let's start eliminating options and go through the list, right? Yeah. And you can apply that, you can apply that principle to a lot of things. And even like you said, just someone who hears, oh, this was the problem, this was the solution. Just by hearing that and you remember it, you can, you don't have to do it every day to become very knowledgeable in the subject, right? Yeah, and and what we're talking about fits right in with archery as well. So, yeah. you know, the same thing applies, you know, on, on a boat. So people have different problems with different things and you, you just never know what's causing them. I, I've had people that, 
you know, just cannot shoot very good. You know, the, the paper's tearing all over the place. And it's like, no matter what I do, I can't get it adjusted. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let me shoot your bow. Yeah. And if it doesn't tear good, then we gotta then we got something to look at because there's all kinds of things yeah. can cause it. You know, yeah. one, your grip. Uh, two, your grip. Three, your grip. And then we start working on other things. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like I said, when I, I did some coaching, a small bit of coaching um a few years ago. And yeah, 99% of your problems is is right here in your hand. It's not the bow. It's not what equipment you're using. It's this hand that's holding that bow, right? The number of times yep. I'll go up to people and be like, okay. They're like, it keeps hitting my arm. I'm like, okay. If I come up to you and I start grabbing onto you and like shaking you, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm probably going to hit you. It's like, well, that's exactly what the bow is doing. So stop, <laughs> like, stop death gripping the bow. It's not, it doesn't have legs. It's not running away. <laughs> Let it hold on to it, and it's not going anywhere. That's why I put a sling on it because I don't hang on to it at all. And, well, they'll, the, they'll still do it with the sling too, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, then I see some people adjust the sling so tight it's against the wrist and holding yeah, it. It's like, nah, that needs yeah. to be just loose enough. And I'll take it, I'll just let go of my bow yeah. and sit there and hangs on yeah. the sling. And, um, yeah. you know, I, ju I just created the, the podcast come out just before this one. I kind of finished up a two series podcast on, uh, on, you know, how to do, you know, line your feet up and, and, you know, how to use a release, where to anchor, you know, how to use a handheld, how to use a, a wrist strap one, uh, you know, the shot process, you know, the whole stuff going through the whole, the whole thing. And, you know, that's how I do it. That's the best way for me. I'm going to teach you that way. And then we're going to modify it. Yeah. You know, you know, teaching martial arts for over 20 years, the same technique works the same way for everybody. Except yeah. I got to tell you one way, tell somebody else a different way, and and demonstrate a little bit differently because we all learn differently. And yeah, yeah. yeah like I did martial arts for I did jujitsu for I don't know five or six years, something like that. But I was a lefty. I, I shoot compound right-handed, but I'm a left. I fight left-handed. So whenever the <laughs> teacher, say the teacher would um, demonstrate it, he would always demonstrate right-handed because a he was right-handed but that's what most people are so he's going to teach right. it to them and then i would he'd be like okay you kind of have to just follow the footwork and figure out just translate it so you got kind of good at figuring that out and it, it does apply a lot to archery as well like you right. can watch someone do something and go okay well they did it like this and like this now why and you break it back down and just and try and incorporate it and see if it works. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then uh, then you try something new. Yeah, and and, and the, the same thing you know applies no matter what sport you're doing. But you know, I I I did hapkido for about twenty years, and you know we have a lot of joint locks and working with you know power and and you know one of the things that I teach is I want you to have your toes pointing straight to the target and right off to the side, and the disadvantage of the way I teach it, if you grip that bow, you will hit your arm. Yeah. You will hit your arm. Uh, if you try and push it out too far, you will hit your arm. If you do it correctly, you're not going to hit your arm. I don't wear a sling. I don't even hit my arm when I'm wearing a big heavy coat because yeah. of my grip. And I, I run a little bit half, half that shorter draw length. I run 29, so 29 and a half. 
and I don't hit my arm. And, and I want it off the straight because what I want to do is I want to take that hand and push straight to the target. Yeah. When it goes off, I want my arm pointing to where the target is. And I'll use a practice string. I've said this in some of the other ones. So I'll take a string, put around my thumb, my draw link, and then I will shoot. If that string hangs up or does not go straight, my form is wrong. Once yeah. that goes straight to the target off my hand, my form is right. I'm pushing straight to the target and you know most efficiently and uh, same thing i use for setting up uh, loops uh, you know for your arrow i want it to directly behind the arrow not above it not behind it if you put a knock point on you got to put two on yeah. because if you don't you're pushing that arrow at a little bit of an angle and i'll yeah. tell people it's like okay set a pencil on the, on the on your desk or on a table or something and now push straight from the racer to the tip and it'll go straight now slight angle and it wants it wants to turn. That's what yeah. you're causing your arrow to do by putting that loop on in the wrong spot and not putting yeah. it on correctly. I don't yeah. use knock points on them. Uh, I've never had a move. Uh, in fact, when I tie them on the way I tie them on, uh, the trick is wax your string before you tie the knots. It gets much yeah. tighter. And yeah. and make sure you get them untied. You have to cut mine off. You can't untie them. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. Just, so yeah, it's the same same with mine. Like I, I don't use like the brass points. I'll have uh just take some serving material, do a couple of loops, and basically basically do another set of serving over top of the serving that's there, one on each side, and then put my D loop on just so it doesn't wear out the D loop as much. But oh, yeah. uh, and if I have to take the D loop off, I still don't I don't lose my knocking point, right? Yeah. Um but yeah, those they never come off. You, I gotta get a knife and cut them off. They, they don't like basically they end up threaded on. The serving is basically a thread down or a, like a screw thread yeah. almost. So if I need to make a small adjustment of the knocking point, I just take and I spin it. That's how tight I keep them. So they basically thread onto it. <laughs> yeah, same as mine. <laughs> you know, if I need to do a little little tweak, I'll just you know mostly I just do like maybe half a turn to get the peep to line up. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. all I'm changing is for peep alignment. You know, I'm not yeah. trying to adjust the knock point because if it's off by that much, you you got to yeah, you probably have to redo it anyways. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I I set mine up, you know, so so it's center shot. I have a, a laser that I can take my sight off and both laser on and shine the laser on the string so it lines up in the string and shine it clear out to the tip and adjust the left and right until that lines up perfectly. Now you're perfectly center shot, and yeah. and then. Uh, I'll put a level, you know, first you have to level your riser. So it's, it's level, but yeah. putting the string on level on your string, making sure yeah. it's plumb and then put it, uh, arrow, a weight, uh, a weight, <laughs> put a, uh, level on the tip of the arrow and yeah. adjust that knock point until it's, it's level. And then that's yeah. where you tie it on. So your level and your square, the only thing is different is, uh, adjusting your sight for that third access when you're pointing up or yeah. downhill. And yeah, yeah. you know, with the right jig, you could do that. Without a good jig, you, you might as well yeah, try. It becomes hard. Yeah, I was lucky. Like the the one club I shoot at during the winter down, um, they've got all. Or they, I haven't been there in a while, but I'm pretty sure they still have an entire room with an arrow saw, bow press, all the vices and all that stuff. So the number of times the guy will come in and be like, "Oh, hey, like, can you help me?" fix this thing right like something happened with my bow so on and so forth like if you were to if you were to talk to my fiance she'd be like 
the number of times you told me, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm heading out the door. I'm all packed up. I'm heading out the door. And it'll be three hours later. And I'm sitting there <laughs> with someone's bow. Not even my own bow. It's just somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I've spent more time working on other people's bows, just being, being nice and being the, the, the local archer guy. And just going, oh, yeah, here, we'll fix this. We'll tilt the cam a little bit. We'll level this out. And <laughs> three hours later, and I was just pissed, like, where are you? It's still an hour drive to get home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, when you have a shop, you're, you're constantly working on, on bows and making arrows. And uh, when I had my shop, I, I had no fletched arrows. I only bought shafts. Yeah. Um, and almost exclusively PSE shafts some gold tips. That's pretty much all I, I, I stocked down there. And, you know, all my arrows were custom made. Yeah. What colors you want. Yeah. And, you know, you could do, you know, four or five inch, three inch veins. You could do four yeah. or five inch feathers. Yeah. Um, you know, I kept all the feathers because that's what I shoot. That's what I started with in the 60s. I still shoot feathers on my arrows, four inch feathers. And um, I see no reason to change. <laughs> Again, yeah. going back to going back to what we said earlier, if it works, it works. Why why mess with it, right? Like, <laughs> well, and and the difference between shooting feathers and veins, if it's shooting in the rain, you might be better off with the veins. Yeah, but I've been out hunting and rained on me. Uh, the arrow that I have knocked is getting a little bit wet. I pull it off and change it for a dry one that's just yeah. hanging up. I take my quiver off and hang it upside down. Um, yeah. So. So that I can grab an arrow and 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 load it. I don't have it on my bow because I don't practice with it on my bow, so I don't hunt with it on there. I, I'm walking in with it on there. Once I get there, I have a little thing of screws in the tree. Have another receiver, pull it off, stick it in the wind. I'm done. You know, my my arrows are not on me and handy there, and I don't have to worry about getting in the way. And yeah, well, you said you only get one shot, so it's like as long as it's within arm reach that you can grab the second one if you miss. And yeah. you're ready for the next one, but it's not like you need to shoot real quick to get that next one off. <laughs> no, although I have I have done that at two different deer. I was shooting at one deer, uh, and then I heard off to my left another one coming in. So I shot that one. Watch which way it ran, so I know which way it wins. Turned around, loaded an arrow, drew back, and waited for the other one to come out in the opening and shot another one. Yeah. I had cleaned two that day. <laughs> track two and clean two and haul two yeah. of them out <laughs> yeah that's a, don't know much about hunting but based off listening to some of your other podcasts like you can go days without getting one the fact you get two oh. in one day is is unbelievable yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then you always gotta have, make sure you have plenty of arrows with you and make sure your quiver is full of six um yeah. i did one time i had like two or three arrows because uh, that's all i had ready and i went out and I shot, I was like, ah, I missed, darn. I was out of arrows and I still had deer coming by and I still hadn't hit one. I don't know what I was doing that day, but I can't, I missed the, the two or three arrows I had with me and I had no more. And I should have watched the deer go walk by because I wasn't yeah. going to go down and get an arrow because it was dull. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't, I don't yeah. carry extra blades with me. <laughs> now for me, when I do target stuff, I always make sure I've got 12 arrows in my quiver in case I bust a bunch of knocks or something. Yeah. And then at the break or something, I've got base in my in my case, I call it the fix it kit. If it's a basic repair, it's I can pull out this kit. It's got serving, it's got D loops, spare knocks, pins, points, fletching, glue, 
everything. If you if you've got a minor repair that needs to be done, I can hand you this bag and you can get yourself get your arrows fixed up or get any minor repairs done. Right. So you never make always make sure you never run out of arrows. Yeah. Right. I remember the and first that, 3D I went to. Um, I had I forget how many, like six arrows or something like that. And I'm hoping to get through it with arrows left. <laughs> yeah. I it's my first one. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And and I'm going out there, it's like, and you go find it. And then it's all in tall grass. You ain't finding it in tall grass. Yeah. And and finally it's like, then I got to where, okay, now I can do them. And then I got to where I can, okay, one arrow to the whole course. You know, yeah. and, and then you know, as you get better at it, but you gotta start with you gotta have a lot of arrows. Yeah. yeah. Then you gotta be careful with the other guys that be shooting a tournament and start them taking out your arrow instead. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I mean, just before COVID, I was like, you know what? End of end of uh I guess it'd be end of 2019, heading into the winter. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe next year I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna shoot a 3D tournament. Why not? Let's let's go shoot a 3D tournament. We'll buy all the arrows, we'll get everything set up. And then March comes around 2020. I'm like, well, I guess uh, I guess I'm not doing that this year. <laughs> yeah, that kind of messed up a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was definitely uh, a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To put it mildly, <laughs> overgrown problem, I think, though. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm perpetually the middle ground between the two extremes <laughs> of society where I'm like, okay, like, yeah, we probably should shut some things down. Yeah. Okay. Let's wear the masks. But it's like, is it really as bad as everyone's making it out to be? It's like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, be careful. But at the same time, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was amazing how nobody was catching a cold. Uh, you know during yeah. that time yeah you, you yeah. know yeah. It's like uh okay what's the symptoms of it a cold and people yeah. if they'd have a cold they'd stay home where before they'd go out and infect everybody else yeah you know i got a yeah. cold. I... yeah yeah <laughs> stay home yeah yeah like i every year i would get a cold i would always get the sniffles no matter what but i think a combination of people staying home more and me wearing a mask i haven't had a cold in like three years now <laughs> so it's like i don't know man like it's, it's like should we wear masks more or not i don't, I don't know <laughs> that's what you're doing and, and what what you yeah. can do is the ones yeah. that they always see anybody wearing i can't wear them yeah as i'm breathing it it blows up in my eyes makes yeah. my eyes water yeah. and i can't yeah. breathe in them but i wear yeah. respirators quite often because yeah. you can breathe through them. Yeah. And, like, you know, that's the difference. I can't breathe through those. And I have trouble, you know, because yeah. I'm sitting here, um, you know, just right here talking and my heart rate's 59. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it's nothing for me to go go down. You know, if I'm sitting yeah. there doing nothing, the time's like, okay, I'm falling asleep. I have trouble breathing. It's like, oh, uh, 51 heart rate. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. With a slow heart rate and low respiration, those masks just, just, I just can't wear them. But if I'm yeah. not doing stuff with a respirator, I'm just fine. And yeah. for me, my issue is that you wear the mask, you start breathing in it, and then uh, my glasses would fog up, right? Uh huh. So I couldn't see. And then if I'm wearing my safety glasses at work, 
uh, same problem. So it's like, okay, do I wear the mask or do I wear the safety glasses? It's like, <laughs> you kind of got to pick, pick your evils at a certain point and kind of just go, uh, right? Because uh, the shop were like, you need to wear, your, everyone should be wearing a mask if you're near other people, but if you're not, you can take it off just as a like a precautionary thing. So you'd see guys that are like doing something real close to something, they can't take their glasses off. They don't have the mask on, but then afterwards they put it back on. And, yeah. <laughs> I heard one time I went in this story, had to have a mask. And I had my yeah. my mesh when I use, you know, like when you're hunting, it's a complete mesh. Yeah. It just has so the eyes it. open. I put that on, that was fine. It was a mask. Yeah, it's a mask. <laughs> it was a mask. Yeah. I I went out and I'm like, if I got to wear a mask, I'm going to have some fun with it. So I went out and I got uh, some masks with a gray wolf, like a, a muzzle, so to speak, printed on it. Oh. So whenever I, was going around, whenever I was going around doing our gray wolf archery stuff, it was like, well, it's pretty obvious where I'm from <laughs> if I'm wearing that. And I got I got my shooting jersey that says gray wolf archery on it. But it, was, it made it pretty. It was it was it was amusing. People got a laugh out of it. I it was like, you can yeah. you can either. You can get you can be angry about having to do it, or you can have some fun. Well, and and I took one one place I was working. You had to wear a mask unless you was eating, and you know all this kind of crap. And they'd hand you those masks coming in, which they contaminate them when they hand them to you. But I had my um, my scentlock hoodie, the, okay. the, the bakula that I put on. So it actually charcoal line. Okay. <laughs> so it actually would do some good because it was filtered yeah, yeah. through a charcoal filter. And, yeah. you know, I put that on because I didn't want those other things because I could breathe through that a little bit better. And, you know, after a while, I still got where the burn of my eyes wearing one of those. Yeah. And, you know, even riding my motorcycle, I have to wear a full helmet because I can't take the wind in my eyes. They, they just water. And I'm it's like, okay, yeah. I might as well close my eyes and drive because I can't yeah. see anyway. Yeah, yeah you can drive by Braille. Just... <laughs> yeah. You know, if you had those little vibration things in the middle and the side, you could okay i'm on that yeah. one let me go to the other one here let me just bounce between the two of them <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i'm not sure if you guys had them down in the states those vibration strips on the edge of the road yeah but, um my sensei he one of the younger kids they they, he, they were talking about something and driving came up and he said something along the lines of oh you know what those vibration strips are for on the edge of the road and the kid's like no i don't know they don't drive and he's like oh it's for the blind people so they don't go off the road <laughs> <laughs> the kid's like wait wait blind people can drive like no no they can't <laughs> yeah I, I always i always wanted to try and uh teach a a, a blind uh person to, to shoot with a bow and and yeah see, just see how we could do it you know at, at a distance and it's like okay here's where at okay there's your you're shooting a little bit high and then adjust them and yeah. it's like okay no, no eyes, just all feel. And yeah. I, I'll do yeah. that sometimes too, is, is uh, have them shoot with their eyes closed because you can feel yeah. what your body's doing. You can yeah. feel what the bow is doing. And, yeah. you know, shooting at blank bales is another great training tool. And yeah. one of the things I used to do with some of the guys when we're adjusting them, you know, they're just all over the place. And I, you know, I tune up their bow. It's all shooting lights out. I'll take a one inch wide black strip put it horizontally and say okay shoot that black strip don't care where it's at it can be anywhere on that black line and they'll shoot it and they'll be hitting that black line 
most of the time they're going to hit that black line or be real close to it and i turn it you know so it's up and down and shoot it and they're hitting that line no problem because your mind will let you float sideways or up and down on it and i say okay now you can hit a one inch horizontal line a one inch vertical line your x ring is a one inch diameter circle yeah you still hit that x ring every time you just proved you can do yeah. it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's all just a mental game right like <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot of tricks to, in, in learning to do stuff. And, and you know, one of the things that I do is when I'm teaching an archer, uh, the correct way a, a release should feel. It should be a total surprise. So yeah. I'll tell them, it's, okay, yeah. you're going to draw back, keep your finger way above your trigger. You know, not like you're supposed to, but get your anchor point, finger above the trigger. All you're going to do is aim. I'll be pulling that trigger at some point. You won't yeah. know when. Aim, aim, aim. And I'll squeeze that trigger. Nine times out of ten, they hit what they're aiming at. Yeah, they're like, okay, yeah. that's what that's what it should feel. If you don't feel like that when you release, you did it wrong. That is the release. Yeah, I I, I had that done to me a few years ago when I went down to uh, the Gator Cup for down in Florida, and uh, we went as a, a training camp with some of the Canada archery guys, and so they're like, okay, put this wrist strap on and draw your bow back. Okay draw links all the way back here because I need you to hinge but they're like okay now close your eyes and then they go smack that trigger and sure enough it's like okay do that a few more times like you, you shouldn't know when it's going off if you do you've got a problem and I'm real bad for it I'll sit there and go with my with my uh, I guess my oh. ring finger there with a hinge because I, I I've always had this perpetual problem where I'm always hovering right at the bottom of the nine ring, always. I'll get it up in there, and I'll hold, and I'll pull, I'll pull, I'll pull, and like, is it? <laughs> I've always had this problem, and I just, hopefully, when I get back to shooting again, I'll be able to, after I've taken basically a two-year hiatus, be able to go, okay, we're going to start from fresh. We're going to go, and we're not going to do that. We're just going to, uh, nice and pull, and Nice surprise. Nice and pull and just work through it again. Yeah, when I was first learning back tension release, they had us, um, you know, about three feet from the target. Far enough that the arrow was actually out of the bow. You could just lean forward to grab it and pull it out. Yeah. There's like yeah. 20 of us on this line. And we're shooting with our eyes closed until we feel this going off. And then we open our eyes. And then we can't do it. Close our eyes so we can finally open our eyes and feel that same thing. And we're shooting, shooting. Yeah. Now there may be yeah. sights on your your bow, but there's no target to aim at. It's just a cardboard yeah. backstop. You know, yeah. there's nothing there. So finally, you're getting where you're shooting with your eyes open, and now then, then you can start start doing your aiming. And you know, then, you know, when you have trouble with it, you know, go back to, up where you can't miss it and shoot with your eyes closed. Um, yeah. You know, and that's where I come up with the string on my on my thumb because now I can practice that same technique. Yeah. And and not have to shoot an actual bow because when they turn it, sometimes I've been in tournaments like it's not feeling right. So I'm not feeling right. So I'll grab that string out and I'll yeah. practice shooting that thing a few times. Like, yeah, that's right. My form is off because it's it's hanging <laughs> up on my thumb. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now it's now it's going it now. And then try one more time and where we go. Something happened to your camera. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm working on it. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, technical difficulties. We got it. Yeah. It's, you must have a Nikon uh, web camera. 
<laughs> yeah, don't worry, I got her. We'll get her back up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just gotta find find the battery for her. Uh, ba battery died. <laughs> yeah, that's all that happens. Yeah. No, we can still talk though. <laughs> oh yeah, don't worry. I'm I'm grabbing a new one right now. I pop a new one in. We're good to go. Got them all charged up. I've got a Logitech that plugs into USB ports, so I don't have to worry about batteries. Yeah, mine should be charging on it, but I don't know why it's not. Ah, technology. That's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Worst case, I can always flip it back to the other camera. Yeah, I when I first started doing uh, recording and stuff, I I was using my laptop camera, and you know it was okay. So I got this Logitech, and it's like. Oh man, you can tell if I shaved or not, you know, with this new yeah. camera. <laughs> yeah. Because I was blurry enough you couldn't tell. You know, I could not shave for three or four days and wouldn't know it. Now you just like miss one day and you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll just switch back to this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing the the difference in the cameras, right? Like <laughs> oh yeah. This one has like a little haze behind it, you know, because it's yeah. It's, the light. Yeah, it's just the, the built-in light on the actual. The actual camera turns on when it's recording, but it creates a glare on it. So it's just, <laughs> I don't know. That's why I, that's why I hooked this one up. I'm like, okay, we'll do we'll do this, try and do something nice and make it look better. But yeah, well, technology. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's all good. You know, we can we can hear hear you and see you and it's nice to you. I like having on, on camera so that you know at least those watching the video, you know, can see us on here and, and talking and you know, I think it's a little more personal. I'd rather do it in yeah. person, but yeah. I'm not driving all over the world, flying <laughs> all over the world to do an interview for an hour or two. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't think you want to come. What, where are you out of? Nebraska. Nebraska, so probably what? Probably like a 20-hour drive to get here. <laughs> yeah, probably. Although I did drive down to Florida from here for for an event. Uh, uh, down in Florida, and that was like 22, 24 hours drive yeah. time all together. Now, I didn't drive yeah. it straight through. <laughs> I yeah, did yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing for you getting to Ontario would be getting around the Great Lakes. That would be your bigger problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I went up moose hunting back, um, oh, I think about 95 in um uh, ontario yeah that was that was fun it was with a rifle i'd really yeah. done with a bow but i'm gonna god i had the rifle because you know but the only one i seen was on on the the next hill over and you know probably a good 300 yard shot and you know i got it but yeah i, yeah. I spent my high school years on a rifle team so <laughs> Yeah, I had uh, my old next door neighbor. He was a hunter himself, but he used a shotgun and a rifle. And um, we, I mean, my fiance used to live in a basement apartment. And every so often, it wouldn't be unusual come the fall and hunting season and all that to see a little bit of blood and some feathers in the driveway. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> we're 90% sure his wife's still alive, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's, it's duck or deer blood. It's. Uh, but you do that anywhere else, you're gonna be like, um, do I actually want to go inside? 
Yeah, it's like when you get a, get a deer and you clean it out, you have the carcass left, and then you know you you get rid of it. And I found the only way to do it is to take them big, thick, heavy plastic bags and wrap it up in that, and then wrap it again, and it don't smell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can dispose of it that way, and because you don't want to just leave it out someplace for, to get all the, the bugs and critters and animals and, and stinking. And so I just get rid of them in that way. Yeah, he had a big, uh, big chest freezer in the garage there that he would, whatever he got, he'd throw it in the chest freezer and and butcher it up at some point. <laughs> he he actually used to own a butcher shop up here. It was kind of funny because there was a, a long story short, they had a big like cer not ceramic, but like a plastic moo or a cow on top of their butcher shop. So I remember hearing a, like a story: some teenagers or whatever had climbed up the building and stolen this big cow. Like it's like basically a life size cow that they just just took off the roof and stole somewhere. I remember seeing the news story. And when we moved in, I'm like, oh, I know, I know that last name. You own such and such butcher. He's like, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, you had your cow stolen back in 2007 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> He's like, how do you remember this? Like 10, 12 years later, like how? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I was young and it was a funny story. So it's just stuck in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those funny stories they'll stick in there forever, and yeah, the ones you want to remember, it's like I got it the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I I have the worst memory. I, I swear to God, I'm a goldfish. Like I put to make sure I didn't forget about our our meeting here. I had like five different um uh, notifications, reminders, reminders of to go. Okay, pop up on my phone the day before, the day of. An hour, before, <laughs> half an hour before, I'm like, <laughs> you're not forgetting about this. You will make sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I use my Google Calendar for everything. If it doesn't show up in there, I most likely I'm going to miss it because yeah, it, it, gone. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I I keep it in there and and uh, uh, you know when I schedule podcast stuff, I send on the link to to. And it links into my Google Calendar. Yeah. And yeah. I was using a different um, program to schedule them. And there, it didn't actually create a Zoom link. It actually, I actually had to, uh, you know, change it to a Zoom link, open it up, and say, make it a Zoom Zoom call. Uh, I'm yeah. using Calendly now, and I got the free version, so I only get one calendar. But um, yeah. and it, it uh, I can't send out reminders. But it automatically yeah. makes it a Zoom call for me. So I don't have to yeah. worry about going yeah. in, open them up. It makes a Zoom call. And I just yeah. go in and look at it. It's like, change color to red. So it pops up good in my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you sent me the link to, to like pick the time for, for when you want to have the recording, I'm like, this is a neat little system. This is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I had another one that was, was pretty nice because I, I, I had... You know, I had more information on it. I had like, you know, like a picture on there and a whole bunch of stuff on there. Calendly doesn't let me to do that stuff, at least on a free version. Uh, but it does allow me to pick it. You can schedule a call. You can reschedule it. I mean, you and you can cancel it, you know, all within there. You should have all the links right in there when you sign up for it. You know, it gives you all that information. So you can, if you have to reschedule, just click reschedule. <laughs> it books another time. You just got to find a time in my calendar. It, at, now it's going to be a little bit more difficult because I did start uh, 
um, uh, one of those W two jobs here this beginning of this week. Um, yeah. A little extra cash coming in, so that kind of took the day part out. But you know, I, I work seven to three thirty or seven to four. Yeah. You know, because when I first first started this week, I didn't have my drive home times, and you scheduled at five, and I didn't know if I was going to work eight to five or what. So it's like, yeah. oh, you can come. What time do you want to come in? Seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so I get off early. Work. Yeah, and it gives me more time in the evening to to put you know these in here. So, um, yeah, you know, it just those work really nice because they link right in your calendar, automatically yeah. schedules yeah. it, finds the time that's available, and so I tell them it's like, hey, if it's available, I'm available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like and it it sunk right up to my phone. All I had to do is adjust the reminders to put more of them in that was already in there. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that works pretty nice. I've been using something like that for a couple of years now, um, you know, doing affiliate marketing. And I started a, um, a different group, um, Retired in Style. That one is growing really big. I just hit 3,000 members in that one. And that's just growing like crazy. Yeah. And then I, then I was challenged to start a podcast. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll do two podcasts a month. Like, what am I going to talk about? Archery. I can talk about archery all day long. So I started the, the podcast, doing it once a week. And and then I it's like, okay, now I need something to you know give people. So I made up a checklist for new archers. You know, what do you need to know before you even go to this bow shop? You know, you really want to know, you know, what why you're doing it, what type of bow you're looking for. Did you see? you know, hunger games, you're interested in re recurves or something, uh, you know, whatever type of bow you want, you want to kind of have some idea before you get there. You don't know what your dominant eye is because that's going to tell you if you need right or left-handed bow. Um, you know, there are a few cases where we don't shoot dominant eye, but that's generally because there's a physical problem. You know, you yeah. you, you can hold it the, the right hand and draw it the left, but your right eye dominant, you know, or left eye dominant, you're, you're opposite. So we have to look for yeah. it and and, you know, so then I did that and it's like, well, I guess I'll play set them. So that's when I started the Arch Talk 101 Facebook group. Yeah. And then I yeah. started, you know, going out different groups and stuff. And people would say, hey, you know, how's my form? Yeah. And I'd get, I'd, people would respond with practice more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the absolute wrong answer yeah. because it's a no answer. And, yeah. you know, the groups that allow you to post links, I'd say, hey, you know, come join this group, upload your video, we'll critique it. And I, we still do that. If you upload a video, we'll give you pointers. Yeah. You know, we, we have, you know, instructors like me, I've been an arch instructor since 95 and, and there's other guys that they're instructors and Botex. Uh, I've been working on bows since 2001, yeah. you know, professionally. That's when I bought my store. Yeah. I went down, spent a week down in, in Tucson, Arizona at the PSC dealer school and spent a week yeah. down there learning how to, tear bows apart, put them back together, yeah. make the steel cables, which you don't do oh, anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was going through my miscellaneous archery stuff and I come across a set of steel cables with cams. I think it was for one of the PSE Novas. I think a 49 inch cable. It's like all made up, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and last time I heard they're about a hundred dollars a piece for the cables to buy yeah. it and yeah. this is the one that has a little little uh bead a little uh cylinder crimped on part of the cable in a certain specific spot and, yeah. and those are no fun to make no 
you have to buy the blank with them already on them because you're not getting that on there and crimping it in the spot. Yeah. So, yeah. That that was an art. I make yeah. the strings are easy to make now. You know, I got the string yeah. jig and all the strings. And, you know, I when I had my store, I just custom made all the strings. You know, I didn't stock any of them because there's too many to stock. You yeah. Know, I'm stocking yeah. all the PSEs and I got to stock all the Bears and all the Matthews and all the, well, I wouldn't have to do Matthews because yeah. they got a Matthews dealer in, in town yeah. anyway. But I have to stock all those. And what's the chance of me having the right one when you come in? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like one guy called me. Um, I think it, we closed at eight. I think he called about seven and says, Hey, do you have a string for my bow or can you make them? Because he knew I made them. And I says, I I don't. Um, you know, drop your bow up and we'll we'll make the strings. Says, I got a tournament tomorrow. I need a new string. Okay. Yeah. Show up, we'll get it. So he walked in and it was one of those dartons that have the extra skinny cam oh, crack yeah. in them. Yeah. So, and I knew it was skinny. So I normally make, you know, if it's like 14 to 16 strands, I'll make them at 14. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I'll kind of put them in the middle. Um, no, the higher poundage bow, I might go a little bit higher, and lighter poundage go a bit lighter. So I started making it and we got far enough. We got the one end served tried it in the, the cam too big yeah throw it away it's not worth turning apart it takes large tear apart to make a new one and yeah. by time you make one string you pay for that roll yeah and you buy it yeah. buying the big bulk rolls uh yeah. so i made another one got him all red ready out the door less than an hour yeah and he had what he needed and then he had to go shoot down to club to Get it broken yeah, in. Yeah, get it also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They got to break it in in a few hours, and and then go home yeah. and sleep and go to the tournament. But um, I, I never did talk about that how he did the tournament. But you know that's 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 why you you have the stuff to do that. And I still make them now. The new bows, you're gonna have to get the string off because I can't press them. I got one of the old old bow presses for the old style bows. Yeah. So uh, even some of the new little bit newer ones i still have trouble with them because they're just they're getting so short but now the parallel yeah. limbs beyond parallel i can't yeah. even use my 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 portable jig which has a little yeah. hook in there um yeah. i had one that was um a Botech, um and it curled over so far there's i couldn't safely even press that one so yeah it's like yeah. like i've got the, i've got the same thing i've got the my boat i've got my bow case little repair bag that i mentioned before and then yeah. I've got the the a toolbox that I call the uh, old crap box. Like yeah. something more significant has happened, but you can't get to a shop. Like nothing's broken, broken, but like you lost a peep, you've derailed your bow, but the string's not broken. Um, other other more involved repairs. I've got uh, a portable bow press in there. I've got spare strings. I've got screwdrivers, Allen keys, every. If if it's something that can be fixed on the field, that box probably has it in it. <laughs> but if you've got at, at a certain point, you got to just bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and when you're yeah. going, those are good. If you're going on a on a, a hunt someplace where you're not going to be you know yeah. close, like you know yeah. up in the mountains or someplace out, you know, take an extra set of strings and cables for your bow and take your portable bow press. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always got an extra set in my bag, no matter what. 
And it's good if you, you take a set, you get it broken, it's all set exactly what you want. Take it off, put a new set on, break that in. That is your emergency set. When that one wears out, put that old one back on and make you a new one. Uh, and then, you know, cycle through them. And, and you're out there with that barter pole bow press. You can, you can do most anything you want. And, you know, you know, or it won't be perfect, bows, but it's better. But, yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. won't be perfect just slapping it back on there, but it's still better than nothing. Right. So it's right. at the point where you're at the point where you're taking the strings off, you're you're kind of in a in a bad spot. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and you can, you know, put a clip in them so that you know that they need to be they're not twisted extra. Yeah. Um and, and then you put them on, make sure you don't twist them, you roll them around and don't twist it any. Yeah. And then you should be able to uh, you know, if your 20 yard pin is on. The rest of them are going to be on most likely anyway. Yeah. So yeah. if that's off, them. now you got to figure out why why it's off, and yeah. you know that at that point it's moving the cage up or down. Yeah. You know because you can't move the pan, you got to move the all because if the yeah. same everything else is the same, you're you're yeah. you know that's all you can do. And yeah, your pin spacing should should theoretically be the same. Yeah, it's still worth taking a few shots if you have to go that much much work. Take some shots of yeah. the longer shots. Um, and, you know, just to see where they're at. One of the things that um, I'll tell people to do when they're to test out their pins, because some people will, will cant their bows slightly. And, and the old the old pins, my old sights, didn't matter. You can cant them cut it because you can adjust in and out so you can get them set. Yeah. I said, yeah. take your target, whatever distance you're going to shoot at, 20 yards, 10 yards, take your 20-yard pin, put it right there on the X, shoot. Now go to your, your 30 yard pin and shoot 40, 50, 60, however many pins you have on there. Or if you have a single pin, just adjust your pin and yeah. see if it doesn't go straight up and down. Either your sight is got a little lean to it or your bow, you're leaning. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that's where that third access adjustment will make sure yeah. the bow is set. And yeah. for those that don't know, what you do with that is you put it in a jig and the jig is all leveled. Your bow is all level and plumb. And now the jig is set up so that you can tilt it forward and you watch your level on your bow your, for your sight. You watch it. And if it doesn't stay where it's supposed to be in the middle, you may have to put a little shim either on the bottom screw or top screw uh, to shim it. Now, some of your a uh, little bit more expensive sights actually have an adjustment for that third axis. So then you adjust it so it's on, on perfect. And now if you're shooting up or downhill, you're not shooting off the side because the last thing you want to do is shoot downhill and all of a sudden your pan is you're shooting way left or way right. Yeah. It's because the site isn't set up like it's supposed to. And that's part of going through and you know getting a, a super tune on your bow. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I when I first started getting more serious into shooting, I started young. And then when I got my driver's license, I could drive myself to the range and I started shooting more. I started noticing like my first bow was just a simple five pin sight on just a generic. I think it was a Bowtech Flatliner. It was a bow that was only ever released in Canada anyways. But I started shooting more and I'm like, I'm hitting perfect at 20, 30, 40, 50. Like up and down is good, but it keeps tilting. I'm holding <laughs> it. You could, like, I'm looking at it like, okay, I'm holding the, the, the bubble level and the sight level, but it's still going on an angle. Heck. 
So I eventually, I'm like, okay, well, whatever, we'll just, we'll deal with it for now. As I got further into it, I started buying all the bow levels and, and all the other stuff. So I put the level on the riser, on the flattest part of the riser I could find. And I held them both at the same time. And I'm like, huh, because one was like this, one was like that. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So the, where the, the site was mounted to the riser was cocked out to one side. So I took a piece of plastic packaging I had found in the recycling from somebody else's site, took a pair of scissors, cut basically a small little shim out, stuck it on the one side, got it as close as I could, just, <laughs> just starting out. Like, I don't, I, at the time, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. This might work. Mm. And got it pretty damn close. And it was like, oh, that's, that's much better. So yeah. you'd be surprised what a little bit of a shim can fix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have the same thing when you have, you know, like, like your cams, you know, some bows are supposed to have a lean on them and, and others aren't. So you need to, before you start playing with that, you need to know, um, you know, pretty much when they come new from the factory, they're shimmed and they're positioned correctly. That's when you start tearing them apart that you have problems and, you know, alignment left and right, you'll pull one off sometimes and you know, if you're not paying attention, okay, there's a thick spacer here yeah. and a thin one here. If you get them reversed, now you're yeah. way off and you can yeah. very easily derail your, your bow, especially yeah. if you, you drop back with your fingers. I've seen so many people do this. Draw back with their fingers and they're gripping that bow and they're actually twisting the riser yeah. slightly off to the side and let down. And what they're doing is they're, they're come right off the string. Yeah. And let down and right it. off. Yeah. And, yeah, I've I've seen I've seen that too because like like I said here it's kind of like a bit of an archery dead zone. So the one little range that we do, the one range we have here, you get a lot of new archers coming through. So you see a lot of people dry firing bows, torquing things real bad, and you're like, ooh, don't I'm gonna go shoot over here for a little while while you guys shoot over there. <laughs> just hope you don't get like there's there's been so many times where I go over, I'm like, okay. What you're doing is not safe. Like I've literally had arrows fired at me while I was getting my arrows down range. Like huh. you, you got like when you get new archers doing some things, you're like, oh, you gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely gotta gotta do that. And if they're not doing it safely, just tell them it's like you, yeah. you know, you're not you're not being safe. You have two choices. Yeah. Either leave yeah. or let like, me show you the right way to do it. <laughs> the the worst I ever saw was like I said, I've had an arrow shot at me, um, was I was walking back from 50 meters. They had uh, like a, a 3D alligator target set up at about 20 yards, 20, 30 yeah. yards, somewhere in there. And the kid, this kid had to have been 12 or 15 years old, something like that. And I'm walking back. The alligator's in line with the 50 meter target. And oh, yeah. as we're walking back, he shoots one into the alligator. I'm probably maybe 10 yards behind it. I'm like, you do not at the top of my voice. I yelled so loud. I'm like, if he would miss, I could have got that in the shin, the chest, anywhere. Yeah. I've seen arrows bounce off the ground and go right to the sky and you never see him again. I'm like, yeah. oh, I was, I was livid that day. I, I I probably yelled at him more than well maybe not more than I should have but I yelled at that kid for until I got from twenty yards back to the line I'm like <laughs> but uh, hopefully that hopefully if he's still shooting he got the message and he hasn't nearly killed someone again <laughs> yeah 
yeah you, you don't you don't shoot when anybody's downrange you know you, that's just common sense you know that's like yeah. okay i'm shooting directly at this person just lower yeah. you know what made him think that that was safe yeah like this range it's it, it's fairly wide so like you could probably shoot i don't know 50 or 80 meters wide down on the range so they've got little like rope dividers kind of splitting up the yeah. sections they've got like a youth section where all the targets are real close they tell people okay if you've got like an adult bow at like 30 40 pounds don't shoot at the youth targets because they're softer and then they've got a crossbow range and so on so people will think oh i'm in a different range the rope divider makes this a separate area i'm like arrows don't follow the rules of rope like right. error is still air whether there's a rope there or not like you don't you don't shoot one anywhere when someone's down right. range yeah that that's just plain common sense yeah yeah like there's a, a very select few people i'd be comfortable walking down range while they shoot and that that group is very small <laughs> they're very good archers right like like yeah, I, I've shot, zero to one <laughs> well yeah i i yeah pretty close to one i have shot with some of our canadian national team and whatnot so i know like i i i would if I were standing next to a target, I'd have 99% certainty that they weren't going to hit me. But even still, I'm not walking down range while they're shooting. Like, it's not worth the risk. Like, well, and, and things happen too. You know, things can oh, break. Yeah. You know, use using a release, you know, it can yeah. break. I actually yeah. had one break. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had my whole, I had my whole riser break. <laughs> oh, I did too. Is all old American uh, whitetail, um, or American challenger, and I, I'm getting ready for hunting season, and and I'm shooting, and I just cannot get that sight sighted in. Every time I shoot, I adjust it, and it's even worse, even worse. So finally, I said, okay, I'm gonna go right up, right closer to the target, and see where I'm at. So I shot, and I'm holding the bottom half the rise of the top half come back and smack me in the chest. Oh. Yeah, so I got two pieces of a bow, like a week or two before hunt season starts. So now I'm out trying to find a bow, and I went to the one shop. I bought my first PSE. I forget which one it was. It was it was an old one, back overdraws and everything else on them, and, and I shot that. That was good, and you know it was it was too long for me. It was like 32 inch draw length because that's what I, you know, when I finally did get my first bow, I, I went to the shop and. I said, here, draw it back. I drew it back. And it's, how's that feel? Okay. This 32 inch draw length. <laughs> I was, I was 29 and a half. I was, say, I I was unaware you were seven foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have long arms, but not that long. And yeah. it wasn't until I went down to learn back tension release that they tested our draw length. And he says, I'm 29 and a half inch draw length. I have a 32 inch draw length bow. This is a Friday night. There's a Saturday night class and a Sunday class. That's as if you want to show, if you want to still come and te be, teach you, you have to have your bow down to 29 and a half inches before Saturday night. So Saturday, I'm doing whatever I can, you know, shorter strings, you know, longer cables, getting everything all set up. I got it down to my 29 and a half and I'm shooting. It's like, I don't like this. This don't feel right. Because I'm used to drawing <laughs> way back yeah, here, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, I stretch yeah. way out. And, and I'm shooting and shooting, and finally it's like, oh, 
I like this now because I got used to it because I didn't change from what when the class was done. I stayed with it, where others just went back to what they were doing before. Yeah. You know, and it was like a 200 $250 class. This is back in 95. So it was yeah. not a cheap class. And so I'm shooting and shooting and then going through martial arts, you know, doing that. And then I kind of merged the two. And that's why I've kind of modified it a little bit. And that's why I teach the way I do. I want the toes line straight up to your target. Now, a lot of them will teach, move that front foot back and turn it just a little bit. That opens yeah. you up because, yeah. you know, new people like would do that at um, uh, Nebraska has uh, women in outdoors and go down to teach there. And that's why they teach their stance. Because if you're gripping the bow, you have that open stance, you don't smack your arm. Yeah. I teach the other way, but if you don't have the right grip, you're going to smack your arm. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed you will hit it because yeah. it puts it in the way. Especially, you know, yeah. if you, you can, you know, hold your arm yeah. off the side, make your fist straight up and down and see where that. Yeah. It's, part it of that thumbs arm, out. Yeah. And then turn it, it moves away and then move it off the side. And now yeah. it's out of the way. You yeah. don't hit it. Yeah, like when uh, when my my riser was start to break, I was lucky. I was shooting a, th a shoot through, right? So I've at least got two pieces of material on. Oh, <laughs> so I was at our NFA indoor provincials, I think it was. I'm shooting, shooting, and all of a sudden I shoot one arrow up up and high, like high right, like like a couple of inches. I'm like, there's no way. Like that was a good shot. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I messed up. Whatever. Okay, let's. Next shot, nice and slow. Ah, like, okay, that's got to be right in the center. Looked out, looked out through the binoculars, and like, how is this still like two, three inches high left or high right? Shoot another one, shoot another one, same thing. What the heck is going on? We go down, we score the arrows, I come back, and we just, me and another guy that I was shooting with, he's like, what's going on with your bow? I'm like, I have no idea. Something's, something's not right. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's the, I was shooting a lizard tongue. Maybe the, the, the lizard tongue's starting to break. I'm like, that yeah. would go low. So maybe it's the sight. Maybe it's this. And I just happened to like look real close at the, yeah. um, the uh, screw mount holes where the sight bolts into the riser. And I see a hairline fracture going through that bolt hole and working its way through the other side of the riser. So I'm oh. like, oh, holy crap. Because that's the thicker side of the that's the thick side of the riser. The thinner side is on the other side. So I oh. like I just I take the sidebars off. I leave the front stabilizer on. I'm like hooking it across the indoor range. People are like, "What's going on? What's going on?" The organizer comes up and he, she's like, "Like, do you, what's going on? Do you have like just back up? Like this thing's like the my riser's failing. Like if this blows up, I want to be the only one inside the shrapnel range." So I managed to get it into the press, take the take the strings off, decompress it, and whatnot. So everything was fine that way. And then just uh, contact PSE, be like, "Hey, I got this bow, blah blah blah. This is what's happened." So like, okay, like mail it in. We'll take a look at it and we'll replace it, whatever, right? Because this bow, the the old riser, I got it used from Christopher Perkins, who's one of uh, Canada's 3D guys. So he shoots lots of arrows. Yeah. So this thing probably just gotten fatigued over thousands and thousands of arrows. Yeah. And, but PSE, like, shout out to PSE on this. But like, they're like, yep, yeah, ship it to us. We'll take a look at it. So I ship them, ship it in the box, all the strings and everything. And um, they're like, okay, yeah, we see you're not the original owner, but 
here's what we can do for you. So instead, like what we'll do is for, I think it was like $350 US, we'll give you a new riser, we'll reassemble the bow, and then you pay an extra hundred bucks to we'll ship it back to you. I'm like, done, deal. So like 400 bucks US and like a week or two of time. And I've got brand new risers, bows reassembled. And then uh, when I got the bow used, um, it was missing the string stopper, the uh, the vibration string stopper thing. Yeah. And they, they had put a new one on just for free. It didn't say anything about it, didn't ask nothing. They just, I opened the box back up, pulled the bow on and it's got a brand new string stopper on it. So like, like shout out to PSE, I guess, like <laughs> A plus on the customer service. For someone who doesn't have a warranty on the bow because they weren't the original owner, they they just were like, oh yeah, that, no worries. We'll we'll replace it and ship it back to you. Yeah, I've I've always had good luck with PSE warranting stuff that you know need to like that. And fortunately, I haven't had too many times to deal with them. But uh, on that one, I have my store. But you know, those are really good to work with. And you know, when I did have some, I sent it back. And you know, another company that that's really good is is Scott Releases. Yeah, really? and Carter Releases. I had a guy lost the trigger or something on his got release i forget what it was he was missing called him up they sent stuff to fix it and i had on uh looks like your camera froze but i had one time when i yeah at one time i had my carter handheld release and i dropped it and guess what it hit on a rock the, the trigger it hit on the concrete oh, okay. floor. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it hit on oh, the trigger yeah. broke it yeah and yeah. so i called them up and they said send it back and we'll fix it and i says i don't put the neural knob on because i didn't use it anyway send it back customer like five something for shipping and they sent yeah. it back to me i'll fix you know i don't yeah. know if they fix it or replace it or whatever they did and, yeah and you know that was that's good it, it didn't it cost me five dollars in some sense shipping and that's all yeah. it cost me and they took care of it you know, I said, hey, I dropped it. It broke. Yeah, it just shit happens, right? You, just, you, you work with it, right? Like, and I try yeah. and do the same thing with my, biz, with my business. Like I've had um, some guys, they'll get a stabilizer and maybe the epoxy didn't set right or something and then they'll put it on their bow and they'll shoot for a bit and the, the, the epoxy will fail off the stabilizer. So I've made like personal house calls after work to guys' houses with the epoxy in my truck and just to go fix <laughs> up the stuff. like okay i messed up let's make this right and right and i'll like straight up make drive an hour to their house to make sure that it's ready for next weekend <laughs> yeah well and and you know that that's uh, something that you missed in the manufacturing process and you, you know like both the you know the case i just talked about it's like it was nothing to do with the manufacturer but they still stood behind it yeah yeah oh yeah and that, that's that's the best part with a lot of uh like good companies is even when it's not their fault, they'll go above and beyond to do their best to make it, make it, maybe not make it right, so to speak, but make it better than it was, right? Like, like. Well, it, and, and you know, too, you know, like, uh, like here, you know, uh, Scott fixed the release. So we promoted Scott releases. We promoted Carter releases, you know, because we dealt with them. We're promoting them for free because they took care of the, it cost them what? a few dollars in, in parts yeah. to fix it yeah. or send them yeah. out. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, that's cheap advertisement. Oh yeah. Like 
like coming from the manufacturing side of things like you look at some of the parts and whatnot of these pieces like i can go grab like this end cap it's not that expensive but a good reputation for just replacing it fixing it whatever goes way beyond what a stabilizer end cap is worth right you know you got a few dollars into it well but that's yeah. aluminum i'm assuming it looked like aluminum uh, this one was stainless Let's oh that's see. stainless oh that's that's a bit more expensive yeah. but still yeah i've got i'm working on some new stuff like so the plan right now is aluminum base cap to keep the weight down stainless steel end cap on the far side to get some free weight without having to put stabilize put any weights on it and then i'm playing around with uh, a tungsten end cap this guy's oh. pretty pricey but he weighed this just the cap alone for the end of the stabilizer weigh about 10 ounces <laughs> So before you even put any weights on your boat, you've already got 10 ounces on the end. But the uh, only problem is tungsten's uh, a little bit pricey when it uh, comes down to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and probably a little bit harder to machine. Oh, it's not that bad actually. It's, oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little more um, harsh on your cutting tools, but in terms of everything else, it's pretty straightforward like i use the same program i use for the stainless cap so the same cutting speeds and all that stuff that i do on the tungsten cap and it it works out just fine but the the material is the problem right like just this cap alone you're about i think if i remember about 120 bucks us or canadian 120 bucks canadian in just raw material right yeah so that's with tungsten it's it's mostly the material as opposed to the actual machining Right. And that's yeah, that's what a lot of people don't know. With, with a lot of things. Like some guys, like when I do job shop work, so someone comes with a part and they're like, Hey, can you make this piece? Whatever. And I'll go, okay, like here's the price. Oh well, that's a little bit high. I was hoping for this. I'm like, well, just the raw material alone is gonna cost this before I even put any time into it. So a lot of people end up wanting stuff for less than the cost of materials, which is uh problem i run into <laughs> yeah now not worth your time i, I know there's yeah. there's a lot of things that you make and you know you've got your cost of materials you got your time in it and you know now a lot of people they don't want to pay for any kind of quality you know they, yeah. they want something to throw away you, you yeah. know i one of the things i do is i, I make pins on, on my lathe and you know yeah. they're they're not they're not cheap you know it depends on what kit i buy you know there's there's kits that are fairly inexpensive there's kits that you know, my cost the kits like sixty to seventy dollars just for the parts. Yeah. That's before yeah, you add parts. any any material for the the wood yeah. or material you make for the the buyer. That's just the, yeah. the mechanical part, yeah. and then your time. You know, yeah. so something like that you're going to turn into. You know, if you're paying seventy dollars just for the part without the yeah. material that you're going to make, yeah. you know, you're you're looking at probably you know one hundred fifty one hundred seventy dollar pan. Yeah, and is that a wood pen or like a metal pen? Well, the parts are metal uh, on the yeah, pen, but the the body would be what wood? Right, wood or there can yeah. be it can be bone. I've made some out of antler yeah. and yeah. and all kinds of stuff. You could make yeah. them out of pretty much anything. And yeah, and you know, then there's some kits that the the blank without the the wood or whatever going to you know use for that. You know, it's like three bucks. Yeah, you know, yeah. so by the time I add the material in them, you know. You know, that's yeah. your your fifteen to twenty dollar pen. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I have the same about the same amount of time making them, 
but you know i can sell those a lot cheaper and yeah. you know people can buy these have a good quality yeah. pin uh yeah. you know the the finish on them is not near as nice you know like you know like the brass isn't near as is nice you know they'll wear out a little quicker and but yeah. still functions <laughs> yeah yeah like you get the same problem with with metal work stuff right like this broken thing i showed earlier right it's probably 500 to a thousand dollars for just this vibration dampener for the machine tools right but then that's before you even do anything with it you can obviously right. amortize that amortize that cost over a couple of parts unless you break it but yeah you run into the same problems with a lot of stuff and just raw materials have gotten crazy expensive over the last couple of years like at the beginning yeah. of covid i think steel and aluminum went up like 30 or 40 percent over the course of a year so like i yeah. sell my state my weights fairly cheap but even then i'm like oh now i've got to start increasing the costs of them to the retailers and to uh, the purchase the end customers simply because the material price has doubled right like yeah i used to a little in the backside inside baseball i guess whatever a one ounce stabilizer weight used to run me just in raw material, like 30 cents or something like that. I think now it's up around about 50 cents for just the raw material. So the raw material costs of some things have doubled in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's, you know, that's too bad to have not such, you know, crazy inflation because, you know, wages aren't keeping up with it, you know, so it's making it tougher and tougher for, for people. And, you know, that's why when you're going out looking for archery, you know, go to the archery shops. Like you said, you're you're down there and, and you're you're going through helping a lot of people. And that's nice, nice about archery clubs is you go down there. Yeah. There's always going to be somebody to help you out. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. sometimes you just might have to ask. I know yeah. when I when I go down on my 3D rig, it's right. I sewed my um, NFA archery instructor patch on figuring if anybody okay. has any questions, they'll see the patch yeah. and they can ask. I'm not going to go up to somebody and say, Hey, you're doing this wrong. I can make it better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're struggling, I say, you know, here, try this, see if this helps. Yeah. 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 And again, like me being here in this archery dead zone, I'm one of like three target archers, right? The other one's my dad and the other guy's just a, a friend, right? So there's like three of us. So if you see one of us walking down the, down in the range with a big, long stabilizer, we're one of the only guys we get lots of people coming up going, Hey, like, how do you do this? Cause we, we have this fancy equipment and we look like we know what we're doing most of the time. <laughs> so it's, it's all smoke and mirrors though. It's like, Oh, <laughs> we know what we're doing. Yeah. We totally know, <laughs> but you help them out, you get them started and you keep them moving. Right. Yeah. You just, you just gotta, you know, help them out. That's, that's the fun part. You know, yeah. I know when, when you have somebody come in that's new that all of a sudden they uh um they take that first shot and it's like oh it's exciting you know uh yeah. the the ones that i really like is the ones that it's like um you know they're 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 and there was somebody else that's buying a bow and it's you want to you want to try one oh no just one shot you want to you want to try one would just do one shot and you get it all set up for it and they shoot one shot it's like whoa can i shoot again yeah. Of course, you could shoot it again. We just developed another archer. <laughs> yeah. They start going, oh, they get all excited yeah. and like they start shaking. Oh, so we can have calmed down a little bit. 
Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's a lot of fun when you get new archers and, and younger archers. They get all excited and they're like, oh, this is great. This is the best thing ever. And they have fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's always nice when you get the, the new ones, like you said, of the young kids and get them started in archery. And, you know, after archery has been around for 64,000 years. So <laughs> yeah, we don't want a lot die off just because yeah. kids nowadays would rather do archery on the Wii. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 get a real bow in their hand get them out in the real yeah. fields and yeah and see what it's all like yeah. yeah when i when when i was younger i used to play a lot of video games and whatnot as well um so when the olympics had like their esports olympics as like a side thing of the actual olympics and they had archery on that i'm like no, these are not the right games for your, yes, they're sports-based games, but it's not the right games for like an, an eSports Olympics. You got to go and actually get eSports titles for it. So seeing people play Wii Archery, I'm like, this this hurts in two ways. Right. <laughs> this hurts on the archery side, and this hurts on the video game side of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy how it's like we have a wee but i haven't played it in years and yeah, it's I, been i just never was too enthused about it <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess when i was younger i used to play a lot of video games and i was kind of competitive with them as well just like i did with the archery stuff but after it's over time i kind of i got busy with life archery took over and then more life things and so on and so forth just yeah sort of phased out of it i guess <laughs> I, I remember when Asteroids was the thing and a yeah. uh, friend of mine uh, had Asteroids on his uh, his little Apple and yeah. I, I started playing it and he went to go somewhere and I kept playing and come back and I still I was still playing and you know I yeah. kind of rolled it over and started getting really flaky because it I don't think it ever had even go that high a score. I think yeah. I played it for an hour <laughs> and a half straight the same yeah. game you know yeah. just you just kind of learn the pattern and and then yeah. all of a sudden it started doing really wacky stuff and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I broke it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of older games don't handle being played for a very long time. They didn't no. anticipate people playing games for hours and hours on end. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing else to do while I was waiting for him to get back. So <laughs> yeah. I just kept playing, and, and a lot of times, you know, you end up, you know, they crashing and and yeah, killing off the guys start and over. starting over. And but this yeah. one is just one game. Just kept going, yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. Asteroids was a fun game. I I played it on occasion here and there. <laughs> yeah, now there's now there's some other games I play once in a while, but yeah, I try not to play too many of them because they get they get kind of boring after a while. <laughs> you know, you get to say, okay, I'm, okay, this is kind of yeah, over and over and over. It's like okay, I'm done playing that one. It's no fun. Yeah, yeah. See, the funny the funny thing is that what is archery but standing in one spot and doing the same thing over and over and over again, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's like, true, uh, <laughs> but each shot is different. <laughs> this is true. Like I've had um, co-workers and whatnot go and like, oh yeah, I'll go and shoot for a couple hours, like five, six hours at a time and go all day. Like, how do you stand in one spot for six hours just going and pull and release and pull and release for six hours? I'm like, I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't stand too well anymore for long periods of time. 
my, my knees kind of bother me when I stand in one spot. But I can do all kinds of walking. It's just that standing is hard on them. Yeah, so you just do the 3D shooting, and then at least you're walking around, right? Yeah. Yeah, I prefer 3Ds over the, the target archery. Yeah. I was just never really fond of shooting targets. and Yeah. I shoot a lot yeah, of targets me. because it develops my skill that I can yeah. hit what I'm aiming at. That's what they're great for. Uh, but yeah. me, I more would do the 3D for hunting. Yeah, for me, I, I shoot without my glasses on, but I can't judge distance very well without them. Like the one time I went out and shot 3D with a, a group of guys at the club, they're like, oh, come shoot. You'll be fine. Like you, you're shooting this big of a grouping at 50 meters. You'll be fine. Like, okay, fine. we'll go out and shoot some 3D for fun. And we start shooting a few. And then we get to one a deer target or something in the bush. And it's uh, uh, shaded. There's trees in the way. And I'm like, okay, how far away is this? And I'm like, it's got to be like 20 or 30 yards. It's not that far. And then I, so I draw back. I aim. Bam. It hits a log right at the feet of the, the deer target. I'm like, what the heck? And they're like, what did you, how did you miss that? Like, it's, it's right there. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's like, what did you set your sights? I'm like, I don't know, 25? He's like, it's like 40 yards. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can aim. I can't judge distance worth anything. <laughs> but now I've got a range finder and all that stuff. And I'm like, ah. Oh, at least I can hit things now. <laughs> I just I can't judge distance. Yeah, I finally got a rangefinder a couple of years ago. And yeah. I generally I don't I don't need it for archery range. Um I actually use it during rifle season because uh I knew where they was coming out, but they was coming out just before shooting time. So putting a tree stand up there really didn't do much good. So I'm sitting up on a hill about 200, 250 yards away, figuring if they come out before sunlight, they're going to be out someplace in the field when it's time to shoot. And of course, I never come through that day, you know, that week when that's <laughs> yeah. on there. But I ranged it to see, okay, how far it is. And, you know, yeah. I, I I set my my rifle up to be dead on at 200 yards. So I'm a little high at 100 and a little bit low. So I'm within three inches out to 300 yards. So yeah. a deer size animal, I'm good. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's some of the technique you can use. You know, in, in the past, some of them was set up uh, for their bow that way. Yeah. They go 20 yards and then set their pan so that they're at the top of it and start walking back, walking back until at the bottom of it. Then they take the next pan and set that where they're at the, at the top of it again. And then walk back and back. So now they they know if it's okay, it's close, far. Um, yeah. You know, so setting them up like that, so you know it's within their range. Uh, maybe with my engineering mind, it's like I can't. I just couldn't handle that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I want my twenty to be twenty. I want my thirty to be thirty, and and if it's yeah. twenty five, <laughs> I'll gap it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, like the the one tip that I did get for trying to judge distance from one of the guys was like. Pick a distance you know. I'm like, okay, like let's say a meter. Imagine that one meter in front of you. Okay, it's about this far. Then take that, double it. So okay, now it's this far. Now take that imaginary distance you've looked at in your mind and double it again and keep working your way out until you get to the target. And that that was decent enough for me for just having just some giggles fun with doing 3D. Yeah. <laughs> but 
I, I got, you know, we're a judging yardage and, and one of the things that you can, you can do is, is um, judge the yardage. You want to have the 3D shoot. You know, if they lie, you use range finders only if you miss. So, so you're going to judge yardage, make your shot. If you miss range, okay, where was I at? I, I was, I was low. Okay. I hit the target. I don't range it. You know, so that's something you can use if you, you do a range finder. Uh, if not, you know, go out and and say, okay, this is that distance and shoot it. Yeah. And then walk back and say, okay, this should be 30 yards or, you know, in meters. You guys use meters up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're going back 15 meters. Okay, that's it. Okay, now I got 30 meters. Okay, this is the pin for 30 meters. And, and then you get used to figuring out that's what it looks like. Now, what throws it all off is you're sitting on top of a hill on a, on a yeah. ladder stand, and the trail is down at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. And when the deer comes walking out, it looks like this is a 40-yard shot by the size of the deer. Yeah, but it's actually it's, the, it's the actually of that track. Yeah. 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 And I'll tell people, um, you know, all the carpenters know three, four, five triangle. Yeah. Yeah. That's she how you get to, a right yeah. angle. Yeah. yeah, and you probably do too because of what yeah. you're doing, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, it, I, you measure out three and then up four, and the distance is yeah. five. Yeah. So when you're yeah. looking at, I I take look at the tree on the trail, and I'll go up until I'm looking straight at, and I'll judge the yardage to that tree straight across, and yeah. it's like okay, it said twenty yards is what I estimated that tree to be twenty yards. It was on that trail. When that deer come walking out, that deer looked like it was good, at least 40 yards or, or better. Yeah. You know, it was small, but I knew that trail was 20 yards away. I yeah. pulled back, I put that 20 yeah. yard pin on it and I got it because yeah. I, I knew that this is what I had to do. And uphill yeah. the same way. Yeah. And so it's always fun to try and explain that to someone new to shooting because they'll go, no, but the distance is this far. It's like, no. Gravity, whether you're aiming up or down, gravity's playing the same thing. The only thing that might change is a little bit of air drag. It's like, yeah. it's it's a straight line distance. Like, you aim, you're changing that arc. So, like, gravity's already accounted for in that in that calculation when you sighted your pin, your pins in. Yeah. Right? So, whether you're going down or up, you're, you're not, it's not going to change that much, if at all. It's just that straight line distance versus the, yeah. the hypotenuse on that triangle. Yeah, because you know, the arrow is going to drop based on the yeah. horizontal distance. Got nothing is how far it travels. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can shoot up at forty-five degree angle. It's going to drop based on the horizontal distance that it travels. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I've seen a, a Mythbuster. Mythbusters had a thing one time. If you drop a bullet, yeah, the time it takes to hit the ground is the yeah, same versus... time to hit the ground as if you shoot it. And they determined exactly. that it hit the ground at the same time it took the drop. It hit because gravity worked on that bullet over yeah. that exactly horizontal same. distance. Yeah. You know, 9.8 meters per second per second. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not, it's, this is, doesn't matter. You could shoot zero, at zero, perfectly 90 degrees. Your arrow is still going to land right at your feet. Not accounting for wind and stuff, right? Right. Like, you aim, you aim. At, as theoretically at infinite yards straight up it's coming straight back down it's not gonna or if you aim perfectly down it's not gonna end up behind you 
no. Gravity's going to pull it down. Yep, that, that's one of the things that's sometimes hard to get across, and, and others are like, oh, okay, and, and they just get it right away, and yeah. you know, the, or they the just new rangefinders have get... that angle compensation in it to, yeah. to compensate yeah. for that and tell you what you really need to shoot it for. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 all math. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really just math. <laughs> yeah, it really really just math. It, yeah, and and people say I'm not good at math. Yeah, you are. You just don't know it because if you're driving your car and you got to pull out in front of a car, you have to estimate how fast that yeah. car is going, how long does it take to get you, how fast you can turn it, how fast you can accelerate without getting hit. Yeah. Now, some people fail that and get an accident, but you know, <laughs> all that calculation is going in your head yeah. when you get ready to pull yeah. out. It's like, do yeah. I have time to pull out? Yeah. yeah. There, there was a YouTube video of some comedian or something, and he was making a joke. He's Asian. He's like, I was always told that I was always bad at math or something like that until my father started asking me to write math questions. If you have three bowls of rice and you have six people, how many have bowls of rice each get? like half okay if you got six cars and three people how many cars He's like i don't know it's like you just got to ask the question in the right way for people to understand it is more, yeah. was more or less his point right like you could take very complex um equations and and math problems and break it down into smaller pieces that make it very simple for people to understand right like on a cnc machine you've got lots of numbers for everything it's all math all, yeah. of it. all of machining is math and some guys they'll go okay well if you set your you tell the machine okay this is the top of the part but then you've got a tool that's sticking out this far down and they start trying to do all this like mental gymnastics about what numbers they should be putting where and doing this I'm like no stop slow down okay you sold the machine that this is zero. You know how long this tool is sticking out from the from the machine. Now you just subtract this out so the machine knows where everything is. You don't have to do all this weird mental gymnastics. And people people look at math like it's some weird voodoo subject. It's like, no, slow down and just think about it in different ways. And it becomes really easy. Yeah, that that's you know that that applies to archery as well you know you, you you've got to figure out all this different stuff you know and and you're doing it. it's like okay i need to do this the wind's blowing so so hard yeah. do i compensate into the wind or compensate against the wind you know yeah. what do i have for an arrow do i have a big fat arrow with it going to collect a lot of wind it's slow or do i have a little skinny arrow with almost no fletching that's going to not be affected by there but then if it's blowing hard enough, it might move that light arrow where the heavy one might go. Yeah. So you have all yeah. kinds of stuff to worry about. And you know what? The best way to do it is just go shoot them in the wind and see what they do. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I, I was gonna Forget I was that. gonna say I was gonna say wait for the wind to stop and then shoot, but <laughs> <laughs> well but yeah, same thing. You just go and practice, you'll see. Like I know with my target arrows, if it's a reasonably windy day, if I aim just to the left or right of the 10 ring. And then it'll end up give or take in the 10 ring. Or if I go, if it's even windier, go to the nines, right? You just, you just go and practice. You don't yeah. need to know the math for it. Just practically go and do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Around here in Nebraska, there, there's not many days where there's no wind. Yeah. 
the range I usually practice at, it's they've built, they've got a big thing of trees and then um, like a berm around the range to catch any missing arrows. So you don't get a lot of wind in there, but the range I would shoot at for doing a lot of my tournaments, it's always windy all the time. <laughs> like we swear to God that the mother nature is playing a joke on us. The buzzer goes to get your arrows, wind stops. <laughs> Go back to the line, buzzer goes to start shooting again, the wind goes again. Like, seriously, like there was no wind for like five minutes, and now you've got your time to shoot your six arrows again, and it's a, it's a hurricane. Like, what the heck? Well, everybody's in the same boat, so it makes it fair, yeah. but still, makes it hard to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally don't mind shooting in the wind. The one thing I don't like shooting in is the rain. I hate the rain. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I just, I hate being wet. So it's like, I could be shooting and my scores could be bad, but I'm dry. And it's windy and my scores are bad. Or I could be shooting decent, my scores are okay, and I'm wet. I'd rather have shitty scores in the wind than decent <laughs> scores and wet. Like, because like you said, everyone's shooting in the same condition, so everyone's scores are going to be bad. So I'd rather be dry and have a bad score with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> rather than being wet and have a bad score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. yeah, and then when you wear glasses too, you know, then they get all wet and it's like, okay, yeah. I got a spot, right? Right? Covering my pin. You know, you can shake yeah. your head and you try to yeah. get it to move. And... Yeah, so, so I, I, I don't shoot with my, my glasses on. I've got a clarifier in my teeth there. But even that gets water in it on occasion. So I yeah. have a little, little, a little uh, camera puff bottle to blow it out oh, so yeah. I don't get condensation on it, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, all the different things you have to deal with when you have no choice, you have to shoot. <laughs> yeah. Like even, if you're not in uh, a tournament, you just don't go out. But, you yeah. know, I, I've, I've gone out in the rain. Uh, you know, it's it rainy out. It's light, light mist. And my hunting buddy at the time, he he wanted to go out, and I really didn't want to go out in the rain because I knew it was going to be fun to try and track him. And he was going to go anyway. I knew he was going to go sit in my tree stand and kill a deer out of my tree stand. I just knew that was going to be his luck. So I went anyway. You know what? I killed a deer out of my tree stand that day. <laughs> yeah. 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 I imagine the rain would would uh, um, wash away a lot of the markings for a deer when you go to track it back down right uh yeah there wasn't much blood but there was footprints uh, i guess yeah i would, would i, I track i tracked out, I guess. The, the fresh prints in the mud i found the blood i knew where it run anyway so i knew where about to go and i just followed and, I, and we found it by following the footprints and there it was and we dragged it out that's yeah. yeah, a, a neat tracking is a neat skill like i've never really Obviously, I don't hunt, so I've never had to develop it or whatever. But like, I do deep woods camping and stuff. So we pack all our gear into a canoe and disappear into the bush for a couple of days, right? And you'll see, like, if you pay attention, you'll see little trails through the through the bush where obviously yeah. some big animal keeps walking. But uh, cracking one after it's been shot, would probably, I'd imagine, would be a different skill set altogether. Yeah, yeah. You, you you know one of the one of the tricks to it is. You find the blood trail. You never walk on the blood trail. Yeah. Never step on the blood trail. Uh, for one, you can't find it back again because you've messed up the leaves. And a lot of times they go in a straight line. So you're going to start marking them, you know, where it was at. 
and you can look back and see your marking all the way back. And chances are they're going to go in the same direction. So if you don't find the blood, but then you got to start fanning out because they might all of a sudden turn. You know, they do turn. You know, they start start getting weak or something. They might turn and bury themselves underneath the bush. Now, I've had that before. They just made a right-hand turn, and here they were underneath the bush. You know, after you stomp around the field for a couple hours and come back, it's like, okay, they didn't go there at all. But, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, there, right there. <laughs> there there it is. And, yeah. you know, and then the, the tough tracks are you shoot one, you end up getting a, a gut shot on it and because it was moving through and you, you, you didn't get a good shot. So you knew it wasn't a good shot. You get down, you find the first blood trail, you wait around till, you know, dark time. You start walking through, find a blood trail and about 20, 30 yards, the deer gets up and runs off. You go look, sure enough, that's where his leg is, the blood pooled there. Yeah. You don't go any further. And, and the one time was, it's going to get cold and snow. We're predicting like two, three inches of snow that night. So, but we couldn't go any further because it had just chased it further. So we come back the next night because, you know, I had to work next day. So come back next night, me and my partner and his kid. And so we're looking for a lump with snow on it. It went about 30 yards, laid back down and then died. Yeah. And we found a lump of snow. I found the lump of snow with snow with snow on it. And here is the deer. And the only thing that were froze with the bottom part of the legs, the rest was still warm. Yeah. Yeah. It was still warm. Yeah. Yeah. Still warm. Of course, snow on it helped insulate it. So we cleaned it. And if we'd have chased it, we'd have never got it because it had yeah, yeah. run some more and run some more. And next thing you know, it, it would have you know, not laid down there and died. You know, so yeah. that's the kind of key when you when you make a shot, especially, you know, any archery kill, you need to wait. You know, you just got to wait because you got to wait for them to bleed out. And and yeah. even a good shot, you know, they're still going to run some distance. Yeah. I was listening to your um, your other podcast there. And yeah, you guys always talked about how you got to uh, uh, wait up in the tree stand for a while. And I never really, like not being a hunter, I never really got... Like, why would you do that? But now having you talk and explain that you come down, they're going to run off. Makes it makes more sense now, right? Yeah, you want to you want to give them a chance to to die, and, and you know they're going to bleed out. You know that a rifle kills them a little bit differently, you know, than a bow. A bow is just they're just going to start bleeding out, and, and they're going to lay down and just bleed out and and, and die. Uh, you know, where a gun is a little more, a lot more shock on them, uh, and they can still run you know, half mile of being shot with a gun, even a good shot. Uh, a friend of mine, he told me this, like this deer was running by and they end up shooting it three times and it run, oh geez, probably a quarter mile. And there was yeah. no heart left. There it's three heart shots yeah. and, and there was no heart left and it was still run a long distance. <laughs> you know, so there, you just got to not chase them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it's nice thing of the bow is is you know it's quiet enough that you know there's uh hunt bunny was telling me this doe come walking in and, and he shot it's like he knew he hit it but it just stood there next i know this buck comes following up behind him so he shot that because he had tags for the doe and a buck so he, he had the tags for it so he shot the buck and it just stood there like 
what's going on? And then he said, <laughs> then he said they both started walking off out in the middle of the field, then they started wobbling. Yeah. It was like he'd hit them both and they just and they fell over. It must not have hit a bone or nothing. It, it they just didn't even know they were hit. Yeah. I guess the must like the adrenaline or just pure shock must have just made it so they didn't feel it, I guess. Yeah. You know, but the doe was there and I think the buck was in there trying to trying to uh, do the breeding and and I think it was just one of those things that must have hit them just right. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how things like that happen. Like in the like you cut a chicken's head off, so to speak, and the body will still run around. Oh yeah. And uh, I saw a video a while ago of a, a snake that had been decapitated, but the tail went and it was still wiggling around the tail of it. It tapped the head of the snake. And the snake latched onto its own tail and the tail reacts as if it's being as if it was bitten, right? Even yeah. though there's no head left. It's like, how is this how is this possible? This doesn't make any sense to me. But it's like nature, as the saying goes, nature finds a way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird how some of that stuff stuff goes. And and you know, it's interesting sometimes to look at it, but Hey, we got a lot of things to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm sure you have a lot of things go. You know, we, we, we've been talking here a couple hours already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hey. pro probably going to end up packing up, going home. It's dark here now. Um, my girlfriend's probably going to be done working in probably another half hour or so. So she'll be pissed if I'm not home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't get it. She, don't she get her too upset. Yeah, yeah. So like, she works milking cows. So she milks it. They milk them at seven in the morning and then seven in the afternoon. So she's home in the middle of the day, but I'm at work in the middle of the day. So when I then come here in the afternoon, she then gets finished around eight thirty, nine o'clock, and then comes home. And she's like, "When I'm working, you can go do whatever you want. I don't care. But I'd like you to be home when I get home." Which is is reason a reasonable request? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great talking with you, and uh, I'll put some links to your uh, um, your website and your Facebook page in, in a description for the podcast here, and then when I upload it to YouTube channel, I'll put links in there as well, so that when I get a hold of you, they can do that, and anybody Wonderful. in the Archstock 101 group would just DM you, um, yep. you know, if you're interested in it, and, yep. and we'll Mess get you, you, get you some it. more sales. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out and you can contact me through Facebook, through uh, the website, um, manage to find my personal Facebook. You can do it through there too. Um, and my phone number is also on the website. So you can call me anytime. If I'm not at my day job, I'll, I'll answer it. <laughs> Otherwise leave, leave a message and I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. You can't, can't really uh, uh, take those kind of calls while you're at work. <laughs> yeah. I've got, well, I've got, a, I got a Bluetooth set of uh, earmuffs. As long as it's not too loud and I'm not working near anybody, I'll I'll take a call every so often. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, my name is Roy Canterbury, and host today on Archduck 101. And we'll see you on the next one.